0: Hi, I'm Mark Reed. Follow me as I attempt to put my new book, Impact Culture, into practice and discuss it with others taking a similar journey. You'll get tips that will help you achieve more impact from your research and stay healthy, no matter how busy you are. Rediscover your purpose. Lead from behind to empower those around you. Transform your work culture. Welcome to Season 4 of the Fast-Track Impact Podcast. So this week I am thinking about fear of failure and transcending labels. Now, I'm going to build a little on what we were talking about last week uh, around self-compassion and anxiety. Uh, But I want to take this to a deeper, deeper level. Uh, and I'll be building in particular on a chapter in uh, my book Impact Culture you'll get to hear that uh, chapter in the second half but uh, as you'll have heard, well, as you will hear in the chapter this um at the time was very much a, a work in progress and um, something that I've been thinking about and working on um over the last year um since uh, or longer than that since I finished uh, writing the the book and, and, and for me, this is really important because failure is just baked into academic life, whether it's grants, applications, um, uh, peer-reviewed journals, um, just, yeah, you have to learn how to deal with failure. And for many of us, of us um, the prospect of failure and its likelihood is a real source of, uh, of anxiety. But I think even deeper than uh, that as a source of anxiety are the labels that we hide hide behind to make ourselves feel like we are okay we're worth something uh, despite all of these failures then so uh, yeah i read my uh, most uh, cited paper again to remind myself that i am a successful author uh, and i inhabit this role as a successful author uh, in order to um, Uh, to to create some kind of facade that enables me to go back into the world after that uh, really terrible uh, review uh, that was kind of right, actually. And yeah, can you believe that I didn't see those fundamental flaws in that paper or whatever it was? (laughs) Uh, And great, fair enough, do that as a coping mechanism if that helps you. Uh, or whatever other ways in which you do that but just building new facades uh, creating this sense of uh, of, of Yeah, I am good enough uh, in that way on the surface of things, I'm going to suggest is uh, perhaps not the the solution. And uh, you'll read much more about uh, the different um, phases that we can go through in terms of uh, exchanging labels, uh, getting better labels, but ultimately, uh, this is about transcending labels altogether. Uh, now, I, I'm going to draw on um, something that I've learned from another podcast. So this is uh, Rob Bell's podcast uh, called the Robcast. Uh, one word, if you want to look him up. Uh, and uh, I just recently uh, read uh, his most his most recent audio book, um, and uh, and some of uh, some of this comes from that. Uh, he has a, a bunch of mantras that he uses. Uh, and this is my version of the favorite uh, of my favorite mantra from his most recent audiobook and it is simply now i know now i am Uh, And this is something that uh, you can say in a few different ways, and uh, it gives to you in different ways, uh, depending on your intonation. So there's this kind of sense of, okay, now I know. (laughs) Uh, Now I am. Uh, That sense of realisation, the penny dropping. Okay, so all of this stuff that has just been happening to me, there was a reason, there was a purpose. I can see this now with the benefit of hindsight, but I wish I'd been able to see that before, uh, because it was just hard when it was all happening. Uh, This sense that actually who I am now is because of what I know from what I've learned from all of these mistakes, from all of these failures, from all of those hard times. But uh, the other way in which I I, I say this mantra is uh, now I know, now I am. And there's this sense of a kind of knowing, which is simply being. Uh, There's this knowledge of who I am. And of course, we only get to understand who we really are when we get put into those really difficult situations. Um, When we're put on the spot, when everything is going wrong, how do you deal with your mistakes? Um, Do you cover them up? Do you confess, uh, make amends? Uh, And these kind of situations are really formative. Uh, We are made by our mistakes. Uh, I'm gonna talk a bit more about mistakes in in a future future episode. Uh, We're made by our failures uh, through our weaknesses, despite the pain that is associated with all of this. Uh, Just look at the different character traits that you have that you value the most and ask where do these particular character traits come from? What were the formative experiences that led to these? And there'll be beautiful, positive experiences, uh, significant people in your life that helped form these things. But many of the most important parts of who we are, of course, come from the darkest of times and so uh, what we're trying to do here is to reframe this uh, rather than uh, seeing these experiences as things that shouldn't have happened yeah this isn't fair this should why did this happen to me Uh, instead of seeing all of these failures as waste you know, how many uh, hours and days and weeks of time if I spent writing grant applications that didn't work? You know, how many wasted relationships and uh, because of uh, things I said, uh, mistakes I made? Uh, and instead of seeing this as, as a waste, we can turn this on its head when we look at nature. And so one of the things that Rob uh, does in this uh, audiobook Uh, uh, is he points out this idea that nature um, is in its very nature abundant uh, and it is abundant in its wastefulness (laughs) and so you just look at, uh, I don't know, a a dandelion that's probably not the best example but uh, spores um, from fungi millions and millions of spores being produced from a single mushroom Uh, Going out into the atmosphere uh, and the likelihood of one of those spores uh, ending up in the right soil uh, with the right uh, trees growing that it can associate with, I mean, the the chances are minuscule. And yet uh, when you see those mushrooms growing up um, and uh, behind my house at the moment, I've got some beautiful uh, larch bleats uh, coming up. Uh, when you see those little things that are just bursting up out of the out of the ground and the beauty of them uh, you can't help but celebrate that and we are celebrating uh, yeah uh, the one <laughs> spore that, uh, that 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 landed in that right place uh, that managed to associate with that large um, root system uh, in uh, in the forest uh, we don't think about the millions of spores that were wasted that landed on the wrong kind of soil in the wrong kind of uh, or the wrong part of the forest uh, that just doesn't come to mind uh, we think about what worked and it's of course the same with uh, with human reproduction uh, the countless thousands millions um, of sperm that are produced uh, and yet uh, when that baby is born we marvel in the one <laughs> we don't think uh, man what a waste uh, what a waste that was Uh, So we are literally, uh, very literally, made uh, after multiple failed attempts. I mean, how how many uh, sperm fail to reach the egg? Uh, But uh, we are the product of that one successful sperm. Uh, We are who we are uh, in part because of those countless failures. But the fact that, yeah, uh, one of those grants came through. I got at least one paper. Uh, Yeah, I learned my lesson and I didn't do that thing again. Uh, I, I have better relationships now because I don't do those things that I used to do. We are who we are because of each of those failures And now I know where I came from Now I know what all of this was for Well, now I know Now I am Now, I've talked a little bit about another mantra that I use um, in meditation, um, which uh, has um, a very similar um, uh, aspect. Well, in fact, it shares two words this idea of breathing in, I out, am um, here, now, and I add with you. Um, uh, and what this is doing is it's, it's, it's an emptying process. Uh, this, this idea that, yeah, I've got all of these thoughts. I'm going for a walk before I go to bed uh, and I'm thinking about everything that went wrong today. I'm worrying about tomorrow uh, and I do it without even thinking. Uh, and, uh, and I'm trying to empty my mind and I discover, yeah, I've walked for 10 minutes now and I have just been a ball of anxiety <laughs> because of these thoughts that I'm not even voicing, but they're there uh, at some kind of deep level. Uh, and uh, yeah, as I said before, I'm rubbish at meditation, which is why I'm using these words to try and help me But when you get to that place where, yeah, I'm just here, now, just me <laughs> This is, this is what's, what's, what's happening right now And uh, I I take myself out of the past and all the things that I'm regretting or frustrated about, or, oops, I've forgotten, oh, I better get my phone out and email that person. I take my mind out of what am I doing tomorrow, and, um, oh, yeah, I better prepare that, and, oh, I need to think. Uh, uh, Yeah, I come into that moment right now. There is a sense of relief, just... Wow, uh, and even just five minutes of being out of my head, out of all of these thoughts, that uh, constant just mumbo-jumbo of uh, ideas and words and, and and worries. Yeah, it is, it is just a, a beautiful thing. Um, and quite often I'll just stop on the I am part. Uh, because, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to even get into it. Uh, I, I'm I'm saying the words, but I'm not. I, I'm still thinking about something, and I just know I am. Yeah, I am. <laughs> and actually, I am is enough. I am is a complete sentence. Uh, and what I discover is that there are all these kind of residues of the day, uh, of whatever's been happening with my family before I, I've gone out for my walk. And yes, I am a husband, and I am a father, but no... I am just me. I just am, uh, and as I start, then oh, the worries of tomorrow and the or the success of today. I got something published. Yes, I am an author, and I'm puffing myself up. <laughs> uh, I am a lecturer, and I'm not quite sure if I've got time to prepare my lecture tomorrow. Uh, yeah, but uh, I just I am. That's enough. Just I am, and let's just put aside these roles put aside these worries, put aside all of this stuff, just, yeah, I am, and now, with that as the ground, yeah, I am, and I'm here, and I'm now, and I'm looking at the, the, the barley in the fields um, that's being cut at the moment, I'm, I'm smelling that, uh, and I'm just being, uh, and it is uh, it is a thing of beauty. Now, uh, uh, of course, um, you may or may not be familiar with this, um, but the Jewish faith um, is very familiar with the phrase I am. It is, of course, one of uh, the phrases uh, or words that are used uh, for God. And uh, in the Jewish religion, I, I just love this idea that uh, that no, no, we don't give a name to God. That The moment that you put a name on this thing that we might call God, um, yeah, you've limited it. Uh, this is now some human construct, and it is not enough. Uh, and I love the 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 idea that um, uh, when you go into or, or went into the Jewish temple, uh, you would go through all these different uh, outer walls and uh, outer and inner sanctums and and everything else, and and you would eventually get to the inner holy of holies that only the 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 high priest could go into and uh, with most of the other religions of the day uh, any such space would have had uh, the deity or or whatever it was and you get into that place and it's empty (laughs) there's nothing there and that's the point god is by definition unknowable And if you think you know what he is, what it is, then by definition, you've missed the point. (laughs) Because God, in theory, must be beyond human understanding. Uh, And I've been reading... Uh, over the last couple of years um, uh, stuff to do with apophatic uh, theology uh, and uh, just loving this kind of emptying process uh, of just bypassing the mind Uh, so uh, this is apophatic as opposed to catophatic Uh, so catophatic is using words apophatic is without words and it's this idea of uh, of uh, of 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 experiencing God at some kind of heart level rather than through the words of a scripture or a mantra or a prayer and so prayer becomes this process simply of being. Um, Uh, No, uh, I'm going to forget the name of this person, um, uh, but it will come back to me uh, in a moment, no doubt. I I took this uh, perhaps a step too far, uh, you might think, um, because this is a bit crazy, but uh, I I did something called Atheism for Lent. Um, And so uh, for those of you not familiar with the Christian tradition of Lent, uh, you give something up. So a common thing is people will give up chocolates, for example, for for these uh, 40 days. Um, uh, and uh, and instead this is the idea of giving up your faith for 40 days Um, uh, uh, Pete Rollins that's the name I was trying to come up with Um, but have a look uh, look at he does it every year and the idea is uh, to actually undermine the belief in the existence of a a god Uh, and it is a course in philosophy Uh, and it goes in depth and explains all of uh, the uh, amazing uh, rational um uh, well-argued reasons that there can be no such thing as a god uh, it, it looks at the, the, the whole idea of, of of why is there suffering and if, if they're suffering uh, and God is a good God uh, so we believe then why on earth does he allow it but it goes way way beyond all of that um, and the idea is that by the end of this uh, you have excised your faith you no longer believe that, that there, there is a God uh, so so literally I've given up uh, my faith uh, for, for Lent and then the question is so what's left? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, and of course, uh, for some people, uh, what's left is, huh, great, so I'm, I'm an atheist now. Um, uh, but uh, what for, happens for a lot of people is that they discover what's left is this residue, that uh, there is a different form of knowing, that uh, now that I've managed to get rid of all of these constructs of what a God, what a faith might be, <coughs> Uh, and uh, and I don't actually hold on to that or necessarily even believe any of that stuff anymore, then is there still something left? And what we get to is this experiential knowing, or what some people get to and what I got to when I got to the end of this process was the sense of relief that uh, that yeah uh, a faith a, a belief in God doesn't have to be mediated through my mind. Uh, my faith doesn't have to be as strong as my weakest argument in the face of uh, of a philosopher. There is this 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 experience that I have had that I can't let go of uh, that defies <laughs> understanding that I can't put into words, and in fact that is the whole point because this thing that I seem to have experienced that I've connected with is beyond word, is beyond words it is beyond knowing uh, and so i'm going to suggest that this then is that ultimate place of there being no labels and, and so i've done this in terms of my own christian faith uh, 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 as a way of, uh, of um, yeah, putting it into the furnace uh, and seeing huh, uh, what comes out at the other end of, of them uh, but uh, I'm going to suggest that this is a, a very similar process that for, for many of us, uh, and a lot of us, um, will experience this through uh, our experiences of, of mental health challenges, uh, of things like depression, this this stripping away of everything that we believed in, everything that we thought was real, everything that we held of value. And what is left at the end of that? Perhaps nothing. Uh, and that's a very dark place to be, but, uh, but perhaps... As we come out of that dark night of the soul, there is a recognition that, huh, this isn't what I was told uh, that I was meant to be. This isn't uh, what I I was um, led to believe uh, was most important, but this is what is left, and this is what I care about, and this is who I am now. Uh, and all of these labels that I constructed for myself um, uh, to, uh, to give myself a, a sense of identity that, that, that had a value enough that I could go into the world with all of its suffering and challenge and, and feel like I was robust enough. You know what? I don't need any of those labels anymore. Uh, I and mean, when we can get to that place, that I'm going to suggest that that is a, a fundamentally resilient place to be. I think part of the problem and part of the reason that we don't ever take that kind of journey is that we're we're, we're constantly searching for answers. There is this, rationalist way of seeing the world um, and I'm kind of getting into epistemology here this this idea that there is such a thing as reality it is objective I can measure it I can uh, do experiments and I can prove all of this stuff and and it is the culture that we live in that stuff has to make sense that we have to uh, to be making sense and be being rational uh, we can't just feel something irrational without having good reason for, for doing it uh, if for, for, for feeling that the, the way that we do, and so yeah, I feel something, and I I have to understand this. I need answers. <laughs> um, yeah, we we look at the the arc of our life, and we need to understand why. Why did that stuff this, this stuff happen to me? It can't just be random. There must be a reason for this uh, that I'm going to discover. Uh, and then, uh, at that point, eventually it will all make sense and, um, uh, and I'll realise uh, what it was for <laughs> uh, and why I am what I, where I am now. Uh, and yeah, we watch films uh, based on the hero's journey. Um, uh, I am uh, looking forward uh, to uh, to the new Lord of the Rings uh, on uh, on Amazon Prime. Uh, I think it is um, uh, one of my favorite um, uh, books of, of all time and uh, and of course the uh, the, the classic uh, hero's journey. But we want to see what happens at the end. Uh, the reason we watch it is we want to know the insights we want to know what how all of these disasters and 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 um, and full starts and challenges ultimately resolve. Uh, and uh, and we applied that to our own lives. Uh, well, that's the point. know. Yeah? our life is this uh, this hero's journey of upsets and uh, and and setbacks and things that go wrong. Uh, but uh, the whole point is, but will we'll, we'll, it will be revealed at the end? We'll we'll know uh, what this is about uh, at the end. But what if the journey is the point? <laughs> what if uh, the whole point isn't about arriving and eventually one day having the answers? Uh, what if all of these unexpected twists and turns, uh, this uh, sudden diagnosis that I'm living with, or whatever it is, the uh, the failures, the disappointments, uh, what if these aren't just things we need to put behind us and learn from, but what if they are actually the point, and we're missing the point the whole time? We're wishing away our lives. Uh, I'm wishing away this week because it's a really hard week, but next week will be better. Uh, I'm going through this phase uh, at this point with my kids where it is just hard work and everything feels hard and I'm exhausted and I just, I'm wishing this was over. One day it will finish. (laughs) Uh, The the, the, the burning humiliation uh, of that error of judgment that I made and the consequences I'm now living through it will go. And the point is, I'm going to somehow manage to forget this. I'm going to self-medicate. I'm going to distract myself um, to to get through. Uh, And actually, the whole time, I'm just missing life. I'm missing now because I'm focused constantly on next month or, yeah, by the time I get to the end of this project, uh, the new year, uh, my my schedule's going to clear. I'm going to get time at last uh, to be able to pick up um, some of those self-care things I've forgotten, to actually spend time with the people that I love. And of course, it never happens. Uh, The new year comes and a new project comes along. A new responsibility gets landed on my desk. And uh, okay, by summer, uh, summer's going to be better. Um, uh, And you just constantly live for that that uh, that that future but uh, what if that future doesn't happen. Uh, and history tells us very often that it doesn't. Um, uh, uh, and maybe the reason um, that, uh, that that it's not going to happen um, is because actually we are missing the point. And, uh, and uh, the past keeps repeating itself because it's trying to teach us a deeper lesson, <laughs> which is that we need to fully inhabit this present moment. Because you know what? Life is hard by definition. Uh, life It includes suffering. That is part of what it is, to be human. Uh, And I would argue to be fully human is to suffer. And uh, and we wish our lives away, hoping for a better week, a better month, a better life. Uh, And we get to the end of it and discover, huh, we kind of missed it. Uh, And it is this, I would argue, quite western way of viewing suffering that says suffering is bad, suffering is something you have to get rid of, you go to the doctor if you're in pain and you take painkillers, I I, I get a cold. And I take paracetamol when, in fact, the body has uh, adapted to give us a temperature uh, in order to actually defeat the the virus that that we've got um, or the bacteria that's going on in our body. We are raising our temperature for a reason, uh, but we lower our temperature because no, 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 we don't want the pain. And of course, we prolong the illness. <laughs> and and I, I just wonder: is this is this actually kind of a, a metaphor for uh, for just you know living through it, feeling that pain and and reframing the pain as yeah maybe it's not so bad, uh, it's no any not any less painful, but we feel it less like suffering when we can reframe this. And this was why when I spoke to uh, to my coach come counselor at the moment um, about my anxiety, and um, if you remember last week, I was saying uh, that he was like yeah we've uh, there's there's a plan we can uh, we can we can fix this and, and here's a bunch of stuff um, uh, that we can do and my instant reaction to that was great that gives me hope and I'm really pleased because uh, I can't continue like this forever but at the same time something in me said not now that just because there's a problem doesn't mean I need to rush into instantly trying to fix this And. That's not about wallowing in this and uh, and reveling in this somehow and now using this to get pity uh, from you or, <laughs> or from anyone else in, in, in my life. But it's this recognition that, you know what, the pain, uh, this anxiety, uh, all of our feelings, uh, they are here for a reason. They're trying to teach us something. Uh, and, and I don't want to self-medicate, try and fix this when the sense I have is that there is more that this has to give to me. Uh, the 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 temperature the the feeling rotten when I've got a virus um it's it's is there for a purpose <laughs> uh, if I suddenly feel angry yeah that anger is typically telling me there is an injustice somewhere in my life I need to go and look where is that injustice maybe I can fix the injustice I don't need to just ignore the fact that I'm angry and store that up you know, or take it out on someone or discharge it in some unhelpful way it's telling me something. Uh, and the same with the anxiety. Uh, the anxiety is there, but it is telling me something, that there's there's something deeper uh, that 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 I need to deal with, and that's not necessarily about something that needs to be fixed. Maybe it's just something I need to know, that I need to be able to 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 live with. Uh, and this is now uh, an embodied and conscious journey. I'm not just. Uh, rushing through life to get to the end, to get to the point, to, to get to the insight, to get through the hard times, to the good times that are going to come. Uh, this is about living in and fully experiencing life as it is, right now, uh, with the discomfort. Um, uh, and as I do it, I, I build emotional skills. And, uh, and the key thing here that we're building in terms of a skill uh, is the ability to feel. Uh, and I think that uh, society uh, demonizes all of these negative feelings. You, know, you can't uh, express anger. Um, and uh, yeah, You should be careful when you express anger, but uh, you can't even feel angry. That's not appropriate. I, I need to push that down. You know, I, I shouldn't be feeling like this. Uh, I shouldn't be feeling sad. Look at everything that I've got in my life. This is wrong. I need to feel happy. Uh, there's, there's something broken, I would suggest, at the, at the heart of, society, of any society that doesn't allow you to be fully human because to be fully human is to feel all of this stuff the full range of human emotion and to be able to sit with that It's okay to feel sad It's okay to feel anxious It's okay to feel angry Not all is good in the world And yet this is not productive in the conventional sense of the word. I'm taking time out because I am feeling anxious. I'm going to go for a walk rather than try and push through this. And as a result, I'm doing less uh, in terms of that traditional sense of productivity. But this is a different kind of production. I'm producing something far deeper here. As I become able to feel more and more, I feel more of everything. So yes, I feel that pain, I feel that suffering. And it's not just a sense of, by contrast, but there is this unlocking of, I guess, a permission Um There's a book that I've read on this called Permission to Feel Mark, somebody whose name I've forgotten, (laughs) Uh, but you can Google Permission to Feel, but the sense that we don't even give ourselves permission, let alone society giving uh, us all permission to feel. And as I give myself permission to feel, I experience the depths of all of those feelings fully. Uh, And and if I won't allow myself to feel the negative stuff, uh, what actually happens is I just numb a feeling across the board. Because uh, uh, if... Uh, if, if I allow myself to, to 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 feel those things well yeah who knows what might happen well actually yeah who knows and this might take you to a scary place but one of the other things that will happen um, uh, is that you will feel joy you'll feel love you will feel. Uh, that sense of deep satisfaction, that sense of being just overwhelmed with beauty, Uh, that that experience I I, I alluded to just walking into the forest and seeing that mushroom and being able to identify it, smelling it, tasting it, Uh, that sense of wonder as I imagined mycelia growing under my feet, that sense of wow, a sense of being just yeah yeah overwhelmed by beauty I, my, my family we, we took our kids to the first ever music festival this was a, a big moment for me and my wife um so we're big music fans went to festivals uh, all the way through our, our marriage years for the 10 years before we had children and we promised ourselves uh, once our kids are old enough we'll take them um, to to one of these festivals and there was this kind of doubt yeah you don't see people doing this something must happen when you become a parent that means you don't then go back to festivals with your kids <laughs> and uh and so uh, and, uh, and uh, yeah fortunately that has not happened and uh, and we took them and um and there was this uh, this moment um, where we were sitting at uh, 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 this um, kind of unplugged stage uh, where some of the famous acts uh, were coming to do secret sets, and um, but also some smaller artists. Um, and there was this guy, Lewis McLaughlin, uh, look him up. Um, uh, he just won uh, a prize for Glastonbury Young Artists uh, or something like that, um, uh, and he's got this song called Whole um, and he just sings I'm feeling whole again and I'm sitting there in the front of this thing and the tears are just rolling down my cheeks it was so embarrassing but but just yeah this sense of feeling whole again and and this is my experience at the moment uh, coming out of um, what I was talking to you about uh, last week as I learned to accept my brokenness for what it is Uh, uh, and talk about that openly, Uh, uh, there is a sense of actually being more whole than ever before. Uh, Not everything that's broken needs to be fixed, at least not immediately. Uh, And by sitting with the discomfort of our brokenness, we can fully and authentically inhabit who we are now at this point on our journey, with these people around us, with this stuff happening around us, all this beauty and love and life alongside the anxiety and the pain and the suffering. This is life in all of its fullness. And to be fully human is to experience it all. So, Uh, That's me, Don. Uh, That was a bit of a a riff, a a rant. I'm not quite sure what it was. (laughs) I went to places I wasn't quite expecting. I hope for you they were good places. Um, But uh, as I said at the beginning, I'm going to hand over to my chapter from Impact Culture at this point on Fear of Failure and Transcending Labels. Chapter 7, Transcending Failure and Labels. You may have noticed a theme running through each of the challenges in the last two chapters. They can all be triggered by failure. If you have ever submitted a journal article, book proposal or grant application, you will know that failure is an integral part of academic life. It is therefore important to consider how you will deal with your next inevitable failure if you want to avoid it triggering people-pleasing, perfectionism or imposter syndrome. I want to suggest that you can do much better than simply coping with failure. You can embrace and thrive in failure, feeling more fully alive than ever before. I want you to stop running from failure. It'll always catch up with you anyway. And instead, I invite you to make friends with it and start listening to what it has to say to you. If you can hear what it has to say, you will learn something of vital importance to your resilience as a researcher. How pessimism can teach us to value failure. I'd like to start in an unusual place, a school of thought known as philosophical pessimism. In his 2009 book, Pessimism, Philosophy, Ethic, Spirit, Joshua Foer dienstag said that time is a burden that the course of history is in some sense ironic, that freedom and happiness are incompatible, and that human existence is absurd. He is suggesting that time is the primary cause of psychological pain. There are two reasons for this. First, we suffer as human beings because we have the ability to look forward, and this ability means that we worry. There is an existential dread built into us from the moment we become conscious of the inevitability of our own death. Second, we have the ability to look backwards, to remember. We can get caught up in our own history and the mistakes we have made. As human beings, we have a unique ability to both worry and regret. The solution at the heart of philosophical pessimism, is to simply step out of time and practice the power of now, as secular Buddhist Eckhart Tolle put it in his 2001 bestseller named after this phrase. From my own tradition, I love how Jesus poetically suggests we model ourselves on the behavior of animals, or the flowers of the field that live in the moment, I believe that this is the mechanism that explains the now well-evidenced link between mindfulness and meditation practice and positive mental health outcomes. But there is a still deeper philosophical insight that lies beneath this process. The German pessimist philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer (1788 to 1860) described life as a pendulum that constantly swings between depression And disappointment. Depressing as this outlook might appear at first glance, it is a worldview that offers a surprisingly positive approach to dealing with failure. This view of life suggests that we all have an inbuilt drive to find our object of desire. This drive is, of course, regularly exploited by marketers who will try and make their next product the object of our desire. For researchers, this might be getting your PhD, getting tenure or becoming a professor. In your personal life, it might be finding a partner or moving into your dream house. The problem, however, as you will no doubt have discovered already, is that you are rarely satisfied when you reach your goal. The new job comes with unexpected new pressures, and the new house comes with unexpected new bills. Behavioural psychology has shown that people who become paraplegic are just as happy as people who win the lottery a month or so after their life-changing experiences. This is the concept of hedonic adaptation, where people typically return to a previous set point of happiness after either positive or negative experiences. Achieving the object of our desire does nothing to alter that set point and make us any happier in the long run. And so we experience disappointment. This turns to depression. Oh, if that wasn't the point, then what is? Until we find a new object of desire. Maybe it wasn't just about becoming a professor. I need to apply for a chair position in a more prestigious institution. Perhaps the problem wasn't where I was living, but who I was living with. So we live for another future, until it in turn disappoints us, and in our depression, we find a new object of desire. Stepping outside, the pendulum swing. The way out of this trap is obvious. We need to realise that the search for a new object of desire is futile, and stop looking or striving. What are your objects of desire? To what extent does your current happiness depend on how far away you are from those things? What if your ultimate goal, to reach a place where there is no suffering and you are completely happy, is unattainable? What if the journey is all there is? And the point is simply to experience that journey fully with all its mingled suffering, boredom and cruelty, shot through with laughter, joy and moments of peace. Might you experience life more fully each day and remember that it is in your darkest times, often as a result of failure, that you gain your deepest insights and can feel most fully alive? You can validate this easily with your own experience. When you look back on your life, what are the experiences that have shaped you most deeply for the better? While some of these will be positive experiences, I expect that many of the parts of your identity you treasure most have been born of suffering in some shape or form, and many of the values you hold most dear have been discovered or become clear in adversity. To have a life with no suffering or challenge means that you would not be the person that you are today. When you see the value of failure and challenge like this, you will stop running from it and realise that your failure is inviting you to stop and listen to what it has to say, because it has lessons for you. Embracing failure is an essential step towards authenticity, which Brene Brown defines as the daily practice of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be and embracing who we are. If you want to be part of a new, more compassionate culture, in institutions that actually change the world, you have to start by being fully human and fully yourself. At the start of part two, you'll explore the purpose that emerges from your unique identities and values as a researcher, but at this point, I invite you to become aware of identities and values that you may have previously disowned because of the suffering they remind you of. In the final part of this chapter, I want you to look at the opposite problem, parading a professional identities that your real self can hide behind. People have a way of detecting inauthenticity instinctively in the people around them, but while we can detect this easily in others, it is much harder to detect our own inauthenticities. Transcending disciplinary labels to express your authentic self. This is uniquely challenging for academics who are paid to become known internationally as the expert in what they do. Expert and international leader are comfortable labels to inhabit, and they are given freely to us by the world when we reach certain milestones in our careers. However, without realising it, we can inadvertently become our labels and lose touch with our authentic selves. According to Google, the most popular search term that accompanies my name is impact. If you want to try this for yourself, just put your name into a Google search and press the down arrow rather than hitting return, and skipping over the terms associated with famous actors and the like. This is a relatively new label for me. Had you asked me what I did 20 years ago, I would have told you I studied deserts. Ten years later, I would have told you that I studied peat bogs. More recently, I might have told you I was a conservationist. Throughout this period, I would have valiantly defended myself against any attempt to pigeonhole myself in any single discipline, and told you I was an interdisciplinary researcher. Of course, I would have said something subtly different depending on who was asking. To the parent at the school gate, I'm a researcher, and when asked what I research, I usually just say environmental stuff. To the natural scientist, I will explain that I do interdisciplinary environmental science, And to the social scientist, I'm an environmental social scientist. Am I being misleading or manipulative in presenting myself in these different ways? No, they are all authentic descriptions of what I do. We are all multifaceted, with multiple different parts to our identities and roles. And whether we realise it consciously or not, we are likely to emphasise the parts of ourselves that are most similar to the person we are talking to. We create labels for ourselves that help others quickly understand what we do or who we are, and we adapt how we label ourselves to our circumstances to create connection. This is all normal and healthy, but at what point do these labels become too important to us? Do you sometimes find yourself hiding behind your labels, puffing them up like a protective shield as if to say, I'm important, so don't mess with me. Do you find yourself digging out your CV or rereading your publications when you feel like you're not good enough so you can re inhabit a label that makes you feel good enough? Do the labels you hide behind reveal something about your dependence on achievement based esteem? And do the way those around you respond to your work identity give you relational esteem? Is there any intrinsic esteem underneath the labels? Sadly, most people don't find out until the labels are peeled off for them, when things go wrong in their career or personal lives, or they retire and discover their achievements and networks don't move with them into retirement. I don't want you to have to experience what I went through to learn this lesson, but I want you to be able to transcend the labels you currently inhabit. My most recent reminder of this lesson was when I attempted to introduce myself as an interdisciplinary researcher to an Australian professor last year. He had looked me up before our dinner engagement and concluded that I was a fucking social scientist. It wasn't a great start to the evening, and he added insult to injury after we swapped business cards when he told me that if he had a chair title like mine, he certainly wouldn't put it on a business card. While we were waiting for our food, I challenged him to explain his objection to social scientists, and he told me that they let the side down with their weak CVs, by which he meant citations. As it happened, my H-index was higher than his, though I didn't know it at the time. I tell you this story because experiences like this make you interrogate the labels you use and think more critically about how others perceive them. The experience also made me realise how I depended on certain labels to get respect from others. If I was genuinely secure in my identity as a social scientist, which is a big part of what I do, then I would have been happy to have owned the label he gave me and might have been able to laugh at him. But I was offended. Really offended. It didn't help that he had told me he had tried to watch one of my videos and had been so bored he turned it off. My pride was hurt, and so I reacted. The week before I left for Australia, my 12-year-old daughter had been teaching me how to do a teenage death stare. She claimed that I was terrible at it, but I wasn't really trying. That evening, I tried. I gave him my most withering stare as I sat in silence, watching him dig his hole as we waited for our food. I admit that it was childish, but it felt good at the time. As I reflected over the following days, I remembered other similar experiences where my professional pride had been wounded. The most common was being introduced to fellow academics at the start of a training day as a consultant. Why could I not just let it go? No, every time it happened, I started with my own introduction, making it clear that I was a professor. Had my professional pride really become that important to me? I was cringing at myself. The labels I gave myself had become a crutch for my self-esteem, and I needed to do something about it. The real reason the Australian professor had offended me so deeply was that it felt like he was reading a label my mother had stuck to my forehead as a child, which read, Stupid Little Boy. I was just as clumsy and forgetful then as I am now, and I regularly felt humiliated by her reactions to my mistakes. Effectively, I had stuck a professor label over the stupid little boy label to tell myself and the world that I wasn't a little boy anymore, and I wasn't stupid. But the old label was still there, underneath the new one. In fact, there were multiple labels stuck over the original stupid one. University student and youth group leader covered it up first, and then it was PhD student lecturer, and research center director. Done adaptively with emotional intelligence, relabeling yourself in different contexts can create connections with others. Done pathologically to cover something up, relabeling was driving my imposter syndrome because no matter what position I acquired, I still felt like the same stupid little boy underneath it all. Ultimately, I was my labels rather than myself, and I was unable to be authentic. I didn't realise this, however, until I was pushed over the edge into depression by workplace bullying and a failed police investigation into the person who had sexually abused me throughout my childhood. I deconstructed who I was during that time, and was disgusted by what I found beneath the labels. I realized then how dependent I had become on achievement based esteem and how meaningless all my achievements were. Any vestige of relational esteem I had used to build my self image was in tatters too, as I realized that those who were supposed to love and protect me had damaged me or turned a blind eye. Without any sense of love or respect from family or colleagues, I felt psychologically naked with no intrinsic esteem or sense of self. Beneath all the affirmations I had clothed myself in, I discovered a hollow skeleton. In the months that followed, I slowly began to build a sense of my intrinsic worth by giving rather than seeking love, starting with compassion for the hurting boy that will always be part of me. I will always be grateful for those dark years, for peeling off the labels I had stuck over my wounds, enabling me to become aware that they were still hurting. I don't think people ever truly heal from wounds like that, but by accepting and living with my vulnerability, I'm able to be authentic. Now, remaining authentic is a daily process of being myself and being aware when I use labels to hide my vulnerabilities. My car crash dinner engagement reminded me that labels shouldn't matter. My goal, which is a work in progress, is to transcend all of the labels I've chosen for myself or been given by others to have a daily experience of simply being me and being okay with that. By holding the labels loosely, it is possible to connect more deeply with people because they are connecting with you, not your label. You are able to open a channel of empathy with that person because it comes from you, not your label. And while you might come from different disciplines and backgrounds, when you are authentically yourself, you are being fully human. And so there is always common ground with the fellow human you are connecting with. As a result, I might now connect with someone as a fellow parent, as someone who loves nature, or the same music, or someone who is deeply creative or inventive. I'm not hiding behind labels, and I'm not forcing my labels on someone else who doesn't understand what that label even means. By holding the labels loosely, it is also possible to be more resilient when you are disrespected or misunderstood. If calling me a fucking social scientist helps you feel good about yourself, then I'm not going to pick a fight with you or let you get to me, it just isn't relevant. If you want to call me an impact consultant and that works for you, then that works for me too. Whatever, it's really not a big deal. If the labels help you understand me in your own way, even if that's a bit of a misunderstanding in my opinion, then great, but I'm not going to hold my own view of myself so tightly that I need to correct you. Increasingly now, I no longer see myself as one label or even as multiple different labels I can pick and choose from. I'm trying to go to a place in my mind where the labels are just not necessary because I see myself in my internal world as an integrated and mysterious whole person. Can you embrace the unknown depths of who you are and be content being who you are without the need for any labels? I would argue that transcending labels requires a deeper level of inner confidence and security. Typically, you need to inhabit a label fully before you can transcend it. Only after understanding fully what it is to be a person like that, or gaining a high level of expertise under a particular kind of label, are you able to walk away from that identity. When you are at the top of your game, You don't need to prove yourself anymore or stick a label on yourself to advertise your expertise. And that means you can step out beyond what everyone expects of someone in your position or role and do things differently without fear of ridicule. So I'm not saying you shouldn't be proud of your PhD and everything you've worked for. Own that. But don't let it own you. If you allow yourself to be defined by your labels, you'll be trapped by the tyranny of everyone else's expectations and the weight of your own ego's demands. What would it take for you to transcend your labels and be more authentically you? After all, the first step towards transforming the world is transforming your own world.